Hello, Newcom and friends. It is so great to be with you today as we take a little break from Sunday gatherings in person at our building downtown and reflect on our value of together. So wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, whether you are by yourself or with your small group or maybe on a walk or doing the dishes or driving your car, we hope and pray that God will meet you in these moments that we share together. We are a community of extravagant welcome, and we invite everyone to engage in the ongoing story of Jesus. So whoever you are, whoever you love, whatever your pronouns, whatever your life looks like right now, whether you have lots of faith or no faith, or just in a place of asking questions, you are welcome here. As we begin today, I'm going to lead us in our call to worship. So I want to invite you to take a deep breath, Open your hands if you're able to as a posture of receiving from God. Center your body in the reality of this moment in time. Every plant and tree, every rock or grain of sand, every single creature proclaims glory to you, our Creator. Today, we join with the whole of creation to praise you, our King. In the name of God Almighty, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. As a community, holy God, we open ourselves to your restorative presence. We are surrounded by beauty, yet we often withhold gratitude. We are to be beacons of hope, yet we often succumb to worry and despair. We are blessed beyond measure, yet we allow selfishness to shape our generosity. We are free, yet we often enslave ourselves to yesterday's failures. We are loved beyond measure, yet we often fail to pass on your love unconditionally. God of our past, our present, and our future, have mercy on us. In these moments of shared silence, prompt us to lay down our burdens, release our fears, forgive our failures, and align ourselves with you. All this we confidently pray to our God and community, three in one. Amen. Good morning, new community. It is good to have you with us on the podcast. As you know, we are on a series on the vision of new community. Last week, we looked at the last 14 years of Newcom in fast forward version. It would be like listening to this podcast right now at 1.5 speed. In all honesty, what we did was barely scratch the surface of the lived experience of the last 14 years. We looked at the deep struggle, the many tears, the exceptional miracles, and above all, the incredible faithfulness of God in the midst of all of it. And this morning, our series on vision will cover one of the central parts of our ethos as Newcom is the idea of being together. And I plan on giving a talk this morning on Acts 2, 42 to 47, 
Those of you that have been around at Newcom for a while will realize that this is likely my third, maybe fourth talk on the same passage in the last 14 years. Now, before you go, oh, there's nothing more that this passage could offer, let me remind you that the famed Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his teaching series on the book of Acts, preached 13 messages just on Acts 2, 42 to 47. So I figure I have at least another 10 cracks at it. So this morning, our text reads this way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Now, often when we come to this passage, people get all giddy about the beauty of the church, right? They get excited. They, they, uh, they long to see the church once again capture this particular picture that Luke paints. And why not? I get it, right? They, the people in the text were devoted to the word. They longed for fellowship. They were devoted to the sacraments. The text said they were devoted to prayer. They witnessed miracles. They saw community needs met. They saw many being saved. The church was a part of something amazing, and the church was amazing. But here's what I think about that particular passage. This ideal, beautiful perfect, kind of firing on all cylinders church is really not reality. Now, some might call this passage uh, the beer goggles of the church. And what I mean by that is this passage presents a summary filled with a lot of generalizations. It was a sketch of the corporate life that Luke was kind of picking the finer points of the church to describe a state of affairs that I think for the ancient world they would have longed for. In fact, we currently long for. But he's cherry-picking, so to speak, the best of those moments and combining them into this beautiful statement about the beauty of the church. But the truth is, there was also a brokenness of the church. The full reality would be that the church is both beautiful and that it is also broken. So think about it for a moment in this way. At the time of the writing of this, describing this moment, there were probably somewhere between 2,000 to 2,500 people in all of the church, universal, until this passage, till this moment. Also, this is a picture of a church that had no local communities. They had no leadership. There were no deacons. There were no pastors. The leadership of the church didn't start to show up until Acts 6. They also are describing a church that had no or very limited copies of the scriptures. They had a few copies of the Old Testament, maybe some New Testament scraps floating around, but by and large, they didn't have what we have today, which is a copy of the Bible. And this group also had very little sense of mission or being sent. 
Acts 7 is when you begin to see that the gospel or the truth of Jesus begins to extend beyond Jerusalem. So at this point, the only people who follow the way of Jesus are just people in Jerusalem. You also see that this church had no diversity whatsoever. It wasn't until Acts 10 that the concept or the idea of even allowing Gentiles to be a part of the church or outsiders or foreigners. So you had all of those things true about this picture as well as issues with the gifts, the spiritual gifts. The Church of Corinth, one of the first descriptions of the church at the time, had issues with gifts. They had issues with leadership sleeping around. They had a lack of uh, giving of resources. So when you read the book of Acts and you read the epistles, you can be quite sure that the ideal society of the church that was just described, that we just read, never actually happened in its fullness. It was always both beautiful and broken. And I think that is true for us today, that the church is both beautiful and it is broken. And here it might be important to remind all of us that the church is a people. Now, too often we think of the church solely as an organization. And I bring this up because it feels like there is within society or Western culture right now a growing frustration with the organized church. In total honesty and transparency, I myself am frustrated with organized religion. I am disgusted by many of the practices that parts of the universal church um, embody. And this is where I think our faulty thinking can get in the way a little bit. See, our view of the church as an organization allows us to get frustrated at the Western church or to blame organized religion or to use the structured church as a scapegoat, all the while not being the church we are called to be because the church is the people. See, the church is you, it is me, it is us. The church is the people. So while the organized church was broken in the New Testament, and it is also broken today, the people of the church and the true church can still be incredibly beautiful. And with that as a bit of a background to this passage, I want to look at some of the beautiful qualities of the people in the church of Acts 2 that might encourage us to be as beautiful in a picture of the church today. Now, the first thing that you see in the text that we looked at is that the believers, the followers of Jesus, the early Christians were all, the text says, devoted. Now, devoted, uh, using a long-necker definition, is a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. Now, culturally, I'm persuaded that the primary way that many of us live life is to dabble in things, right? To try it out, to test it, to see if it works, to see if we're really good or proficient at it. And if we're not, then we just leave it by the wayside. And there is a sense that we all need to dabble a little bit, right? To experiment, to figure out what it is that we believe, what it is we're gifted at, what it is we want to invest our time in. But the question becomes, of whether or not we ever shift from dabbling in something to being devoted to something. So let me give you an illustration to to describe the difference. Uh, Over this pandemic, I've had the opportunity to do a couple of weddings. And there is a big difference between if I ask the couple 
during the ceremony if they were devoted to one another for life, or if I asked them if they would be willing to commit to just dabble in the relationship. I mean, to dabble is to be noncommittal, to be present in times where it's convenient, but when it truly requires something of me, then I have a bit of an escape route. There is, I think for all of us, a, a fundamental difference that we can all acknowledge between dabbling and being devoted. And the text tells us that these early Christians were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, instead of getting into each of those things they were devoted to, I want to just give us one particular takeaway. For followers of Jesus, belief in who Jesus is and belief in his kingdom had direct implications on their life. So what you find is a group of people so moved by the truth of Jesus that it actually changes them, that their very lives are altered. The implications on their life are profound. The text a little bit later on tells us that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. See, confirming Jesus as Lord had very real implications for how they lived their life. It changed what they were devoted to. It altered their understanding of their possessions. It seemed to shift the ways that they interacted and showed hospitality to one another, the times that they were together. And it shifted, in some ways, the entirety of their life. See, they were selling their stuff. They were giving to the poor. They were taking care of those in need. They were worshiping together on a daily basis. They were praying together And this is what it meant for them to be Christian, to be little Christs. This was the expectation. This was what it meant to be devoted. And I think we have to ask ourselves when we come to a text like this, are we devoted? Am I devoted? Are you devoted? Do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Are we devoted to the teachings of Jesus? Are we devoted to the discipline of community, to gathering together, to being connected to people of faith? Are we devoted to generosity with our resources, to advancing the kingdom with the money God has entrusted to us? Do we continually call on the name of Jesus in prayer? These are some of the things that these individuals were devoted to, and we have to ask the same question. Are we devoted? Now, I want to be clear about what you should hear from what I just said. I think we should ask the question, is God inviting each of us to be devoted in a different way during this season? See, we're in a unique time, and devoted might look different in this moment than it did a year and a half ago, and it might look different today than it does in another year. But the question we need to ask is, God inviting me to be devoted in a different way during this season? Or 
maybe even at a deeper level, is God asking something of me that I am currently unwilling to give? Is there something I'm only dabbling in and he is asking, God is asking and inviting me to be devoted? Here's what you should not hear. That you shouldn't hear from this any guilt for not going to the organized gathering during the rise of this new variant. There shouldn't be any sense of shame for being in a place where you do not uh, seem to have the fortitude to engage in something beyond what you're currently capable. See, things like shame, things like fear do not come from the spirit. It comes from other things. It might come from your own internal um, struggles, your own tensions, outside expectations, but what you should not hear from what I just communicated is any guilt or any shame. See, we sit in unparalleled times requiring of us unique responses, but regardless of the response, regardless of what you sense God inviting and calling and pleading with you to do, it should flow from devotion, not guilt, not fear, not shame. It should flow from a devotion to Jesus in the way of Jesus. And so this passage invites us as the church, the people of God, to ask if we are truly devoted. The second thing you notice about the text is that this was a community of people who have been met by Jesus. The the text reads, and awe came upon every soul. The followers of Jesus in this passage were met by Jesus. They were formed in awe. Several weeks back in the Hidden series, I talked about Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, this uh, Jewish thinker and activist, and he wrote an incredible masterpiece called God in Search of Man. And in that book, he made this statement that I found so captivating. He said, the weight of faith leads through acts of wonder and radical amazement. So if we're moving toward faith, it leads through acts of wonder and radical amazement. Awe, he goes on to say, awe precedes faith. It is the root of faith. Awe rather than faith is the cardinal attitude of the religious Jew. In biblical language, the religious man is not called believer, as he is, for example, in Islam but he is called one who stands in awe of God. See, awe, the fear of the Lord, this being overwhelmed and astonished by who God is, awe may be one of the most spiritually significant emotions that humans experience. This fear of the Lord or this awe motivates us to love and know and follow God, and it motivates us to have this experience of faith. It's not dread that we pursue. It's rather astonishment. It's not terror that motivates, but rather a deep reverence. It's not panic, but being enraptured with love and a fascination with who God is. And so again, I think we have to ask ourselves if awe has come upon all of us at New Community, and you specifically. Have you been met by Jesus recently? 
Would you describe your connection with God as one of awe? Has the Spirit spoke to you in recent days in ways that are profound and meaningful and move you to a greater awareness of God? See, the church is to be a people who are devoted, but the church is also to be a people who have been met by Jesus. The third thing I think that's drawn from this text is that the church needed the church, meaning the church, the people of God, needed each other. See, they didn't just go to church. That's what we do when we think of the organization or the gathering or the Sunday service. They didn't just go to church. They needed the church. See, again, the church is the people. So they didn't just go to church. What they needed was the people of God. And the people of God in this passage, as it's described, they were a community. They understood the value of being together. They understood the importance of being side by side to be in something together. Several years ago, a friend from college wrote a reflection on community. And I borrowed a little section of it, and uh, here's what he said. He said, I just learned a fearful thing. I don't live in community. There isn't a friend I know that I can't live without other than my wife. It sounds spiritual, but it's not. I've grown to not need anyone. It saddens my heart that I spend so much time with people and so little time in people. It's not the lack of contact. It's the lack of connection. Loneliness isn't being alone. It's being with people and not finding a fit. It's talking and not being heard. It's listening and not remembering. And the worst thing is this. I'm getting used to it. I'm bound to my need for others. Denial only prolongs the agony. I cannot live without deep friendship. I can't grow without true fellowship. I can't survive without brotherhood. Standing alone isn't strength, it's weakness. Independence isn't maturity, it's insecurity. And so my heart looks for brothers and sisters, strong men and women who aren't afraid to show weakness, godly men and women who aren't afraid to disclose sin, Skilled women and men who aren't afraid to fail. Serious men and women who aren't afraid to laugh. Brave women and men who aren't afraid to face danger. Passionate men and women who aren't afraid to look stupid. Humble men and women who aren't afraid to grow. I know they're out there. I know they want just what I want community. I think he speaks into this feeling that maybe some of us currently have, where he says, and the worst thing about this loneliness, the worst thing about this lack of connection, this disconnect with community, this, all of this feeling that I may be currently feeling is that I'm getting used to it. I almost feel like it's the way forward when everything within me knows that it's not. That standing alone isn't strength, it's weakness. That 
independence isn't maturity, it's insecurity and what they want and what I want and what you and I need and what the early church desperately needed is this value of being together, of being a community. And the text reads, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. See, if you read this section of the text, you notice that the terms are mostly, if not fully, plural. Statements like us and together and we and they. See, Christianity is often wrongly viewed as a private matter. Christianity is most definitely personal, but it is not in any sense of the imagination private. It was never intended to be. Right? Maybe maybe you have heard or, or thought that, like, I, I'm not sure right now I need the church, or I've heard people say that I, I find that it's not really helpful for me, or I've grown past it, or I don't really need it, or I've noticed I don't get as much out of it, or I feel as if the church is X, Y, or Z, or I'm wrestling with what I think the church is and whether I even feel it's important in this moment. Maybe you've expressed that. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've felt that. But you, you get the idea. This is something that I think many people are wrestling with in our current situation. And so I don't know if I need the church. I don't know if it's helpful. I don't know if I get something out of it. I don't know if I feel it at this moment. But here's what I notice that almost every time when we say that, what we are communicating, because the terms are always singular. I, I was thinking, I feel as if, I don't think, I wonder, I felt, I, I, I. And again, the church is not the organization. And the church is also never singular. It's always plural. It's the people. Once you've committed to a life with Christ, you committed to the church. We somehow in our theological minds try to separate the two. Once you committed to a life of following Jesus, you committed to the church. Ebert Arnold says this, Life in community is no less than a necessity for us. It is an inescapable must that determines everything we do and think. We must live in community because all life created by God exists in a communal order and works toward community. What he is saying is that um, instead of viewing the church as the corporate church or the organized religion, that all of life centers and all of life in community centers on the body of Christ, and that's not optional. First Corinthians speaks to this idea, for we are one spirit and we are all baptized into one body. It's inescapable that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the body and you are to contribute to the body. King Solomon in the Old Testament speaks to the idea that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, or if one of them falls, the other can pick someone up. But woe to him who is alone, for when he falls, he does not have another to lift him. If two lie together, they keep warm. And the point is, two will withstand a threefold cord is not quickly broken. He's getting at this idea that from the very beginning, it was not good for man to be alone. One of the first things that's uttered about creation is that it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And the first, it is not good, 
had everything to do with community. That we were created for each other and there was no other. And so God created the partner. And that partner was to give the greatest amount of connection and community with God. God being three persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit in a co-equal relationship now opens the door for those created in his image to have the same kind of triune relationship with God. See, we were created for each other, and we function best within the body. Cyprian of Carthage says, you cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. They're all getting at this same idea that the early church recognized it's not about church attendance or about organized religion. It was about the people of God. Christianity is not a a private or a personal matter. It's always a communal one or a corporate one. The people of the church recognized not that they needed to go to church, but that they needed the people of God. So my encouragement to you is this. Even in the middle of a pandemic, do not lose your connection to the people of God. Now, it might look different. In fact, it will probably look different. It might feel unnatural. That's okay too. But it is a necessity. It is a spiritual must. We are part of a communal and corporate identity, not an individual one. And so my encouragement is to lean into the spirit and the connection of community. Lean into the value of being together. New community, we love you. We love how you have been navigating this strange strange season. And we ask you, continue to be devoted. Devoted to the way of Jesus. Continue to be met by Jesus. Stand in awe of Jesus. And continue to fight for being together, recognizing our need, recognizing the fact that this is not an individual responsibility, but it is a corporate identity. That is our prayer. New community, we love you. So as we reflect on our value of together today, we asked a few people in our community to share what being together and what embodying that value of together has looked like for them during the pandemic. So here's Jerusha and Hans. Yeah, how did we stay connected to new community? Um, Through the awkwardness of Zoom, um, (laughs) through putting on five layers in the middle of winter and sitting under uh, the awning in Kendall Yards and socially distancing um, with a brand new baby uh, who was like tucked under... I was wearing some kind of like blanket because I needed to keep her warm. Um, but I was so desperate to see friends, um, and to see, to see our community. Um, and yeah, it was hard. It was difficult to stay connected, to feel connected. Um, I don't know that the staying connected was as hard as the feeling connected. Um, we could stay connected through email, through Zoom, um, but feeling connected when so much was happening within the four walls of our house and we had so little time when we actually did get together to catch up, to 
um, to even sort out, I found it really difficult to sort out all my feelings when I was around other people that I was used to seeing on a regular basis and I wasn't seeing them on a regular basis. Suddenly everything felt really loaded and that was difficult. Um, and so it was awkward. Um, it still is awkward, I think, uh, a lot of times to, to try to catch up. Um, and so, yeah, I think part of it was just embracing the awkwardness. Part of it was recognizing that it was going to be worth it just to have the connection, um, just to keep up with one another. Um, and part of it was that I longed for more. So my small group became the holdout for um, Sunday morning, which Sunday morning is a real reset for me. I, I really love Sunday morning church. Um, I love getting together with people that I know and people that I don't know at all and worshiping together, especially um, standing in a community of people and hearing voices raised in worship is just one of those things that completely resets my week. And to not be able to do that for such an extended period of time was really, really difficult for me. And I really grieved it. And so part of getting together with my small group was just reminding myself that yes, like my community still exists and we will get together again um, as a collective and Sunday morning will happen again. And um, it was just a, a, like, it, we were, I think we were all placeholding for one another um, in some ways. And so part of it, I think part of the connection was the continuity of relationships, relationships that started before COVID hit and then, um, and then became so essential during COVID for, for seeing each other through um, and processing. And then also um, became a, just a, a bright point of hope that said, yes, like a day is coming when we will um, be together again um, with one another and with others. And, um, and so I think a lot of that connection for me really came through our small group and continues to be through our small group. How have I lived out togetherness for the last 18 months? Um, the last 18 months, togetherness has probably been one of the things that's been most important, um, most needed, most missed. So I guess this would be the value that um, has been most prevalent in the last 18 months, whether in good, bad, or hard, or sweet ways. Um, Tori and I, uh, we were dating at the beginning of COVID, and our whole relationship was um, over FaceTime, over Zoom, um, people that I wanted to spend time with, like her family and friends and mine, we, we got together on Zoom, and we had... Um, Zoom get-togethers and Zoom happy hours and Zoom movie nights. And we got to experience togetherness uh, from across the country. Um, one of the cool things that came out of the last 18 months for my family was we'd never had a Zoom birthday party until COVID gave us the idea. And it was like, man, why don't we do this during years past? Like get together with cousins all over the country on Zoom. And we got to actually be together in ways we hadn't even before. Um, so that's something sweet that came out of it. Um, and for Tori and I, um, what it meant to pursue togetherness 
the last 18 months with, with sometimes being fearful or um, uncertain, um, we had to kind of choose how to spend time with people and realizing we really needed to, um, that we got to choose being together um, and knowing that was really important, but also that we had to be with other people, that we both really thrive in, in relationship, and it's also how we grow. Um, I know for me personally, when it comes to church, small group, study, I would choose in a group over by myself any day. Um, I totally understand the value of solitude, and I, w- I, wish, <laughs> I wish I desired that, um, but, but solitude is a challenge for me, and togetherness is, is what fills me. And so I uh, get refilled by being with groups. And so being alone, being locked down was really spiritually challenging for me. Um, not going to church, you know, was really challenging. Um, not realizing how important that value was until it's taken away. Um, folks at church that I got to say hi to every Sunday that I didn't see for a year except for on Zoom. Um, I know the day we went back to in person was a really emotional day for me. I went and sat in church and, and we'd gotten, we'd gotten married in the, in our church in December. And so sitting in that room, um, was a spiritual and emotional experience of me appreciating being together and smiling at eyes over masks, um, for the first time in a while. That was just special and, and knowing how much I needed it, how important it was to be together. Um, and I think the biggest thing for us when it comes to togetherness in this last season was our small group, um, not going to church, like I said, was getting to us. Watching it online um, was challenging, um, but our small group just met the whole time. Um, a lot of times on Zoom, we just fought for it, and our small group has a rule, kind of show up. So if you're um, tired, show up. If you're not feeling well, and, but you're safe, like show up. <laughs> that's maybe a little different now, but our small group has been the most consistent thing that's been a stable force of community, family, um, in the last 18 months for us, and it's just been huge. And so I'd say small group has been the kind of that biggest value of togetherness for us that has kept us together, that has kept us close, that we've been able to wrestle with hard things, um, we've been able to celebrate together, um, but small group's been the thing that's been just most consistent for us in togetherness in the last year and, and a half, and one of the most special just places of um, home, you know, and feeling safe and, and getting rest and, and joy and laughter um, and getting to grow together in this season. Uh, so that's just been absolutely huge for us. And uh, as we try to live out togetherness in this time, I think our small group valued that just as equally as we did, um, which has been huge for us in, in getting through the last 18 months. New community, thank you for joining us today. Let me leave you with this benediction. May our hopes and dreams for ourselves and others align with the values of the kingdom. May we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and may we encourage all to be brave and kind. May we love the Lord with all our heart and invite others to journey toward Jesus. We pray this in community and in the power of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace, new community.